Hey there, this is Eric Burnham, writer of IDW's Beast Wars, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, uh, what is your favorite Transformer? Oh, man. Uh, 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 why, the name escapes me, which is going to make everybody mad at me for thinking the name. Soundwave. No, that was that was my favorite one when I was growing up. It's all because of the voice. Oh, that and the tapes. And the toys had tapes. I mean, that's just the coolest yeah, thing Yeah, and ever. the tapes. Yeah. I had, I had him for like a minute. Somebody stole it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I had that. I had first generation because yeah, you know I got it when he first came out, yep. and they happened to have it at the Navy Exchange because we were Navy brats, right? Right. And they had Soundwave, and they had they had a few of them. You know what they didn't have is mm-hmm. the guy that's on Cybertron, Shockwave. Is that his name? Shockwave. That's on that stays on Cybertron, and he's got the one arm's a gun, and he's a Cyclops. I don't know. I think it's Shockwave. But uh, for some reason, the Navy Exchange didn't have... They had, like, all the Transformers, but they didn't have that one. They had some knockoff from Korea. Oh, of course. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and it was, like, right. grayish, brownish. But he, but it had, like... It had a bunch of sounds for when you transformed it into the gun. It looked exactly the same. The <laughs> nice. gun looked the same. The robot looked the same. But it was... Instead of purple, he was brown and, and like, a light brown and dark brown. And then... Maybe it was gray, and he had like twenty different um, sounds you can do with it. Oh, nice! Yeah, where I don't think Shockwave had maybe one or two. You know, this guy had a bunch and a dial. It was it was it was a far superior toy. The knockoff which one, which is funny, far superior. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was. I was like so bummed when I opened it up because my dad was my. I don't. My mom not so much, but my dad was super cheap, right? If he can get it cheaper, and I'm the same. I'm the same freaking way. Oh, me too. You know? Me too. <laughs> if I can get it cheaper, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so bummed when I opened it up because it wasn't like it, it. It's like it's like telling your parents you want a transformer for Christmas and they get you GoBots. Right. Right. That's what it felt like. Okay. Yeah. And anybody who grew up in the '80s knows exactly what I'm saying. You know. And yeah, man. But then you start playing with it. You're like, holy crap, this thing is way better. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a better design, a better construction. Everything was better about it. It just, it was just weird. Cause I don't know what, which one came first. Which would be know. interesting to try to find that one again. That would be kind of cool. I mean, I'm sure it's out I should, there. I t- yeah. I should Google it and see if I can find it on eBay and we can show a, a distinction. Anyways. We're not here for all that, but we are here to talk about Transformers. And today on the show, I didn't even say this. Welcome back to Sport of the Country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ken Gregan. That's Mr. Horsley. I got stuck in my own story. Come on in, sit down, relax, and let's listen in because today we got Eric Burnham, don't we? We do. He sits with Jeff and talks about uh, Transformers Beast Wars from IDW, which Beast Wars is a lot of fun. I, look, I actually liked that show when it came on. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that they've kept it going in the comics and Jeff and Eric have a great time talking Transformers. And if you like Transformers, I mean, we've we've had several creators from the Transformers comics on, thanks to IDW, and uh, we're going to keep having them on, too. Nice. Nice. Well, I think we've rambled. Well, I rambled enough. Yeah. enough. Do you have any Transformers stories, dude? 
Um, only that I always wanted one. So I always wanted Optimus Prime growing up because everybody wanted Optimus Prime in the 80s. And my parents and refused to buy it for me because it was $80. And I never yeah. got one. I got. I only had like some of the cheap plastic knockoffs one every now and then. Um, and I got like – Robots. Pretty much. And I got one one birthday, uh, some relative bought me um, a, a no like a no name Transformer because it's on sale. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but then I broke it in like a week. Oh. But now oh. I have I have a sound wave with the tapes and I have a reissue uh, Megatron, which is pretty cool. You have cool. a sound wave with the tapes? Yeah. Do you really? Is it first generation? It like, is. What, first gen, what, yeah. What? When did you get this? Uh, I, I got it last year, the year before that. What? How did you get this in the last couple of years and not say anything? This is the first I'm hearing about it. <laughs> well, okay, technically it's it's technically it, it, it's Jacob's, but Jacob and I share it, and I, I hold all the tapes in my room because I know for a fact that if I put the tapes in Jacob's room, he would lose them or they would get broken. So he has a sound wave on his shelf in there for display because he has a right. couple of things. I share like a couple of things with him, like because him and I have similar interests, and it's kind of fun. But right. I have all the tapes in my case over there. Um, because if I didn't, uh, he would they would be they'd be broken in a heartbeat. He he'd be transferring them back and forth all the time. And he would break them. <laughs> I gotta ask, how much was it? Uh, I, it was. You're not gonna like this. That's okay. It was free. What? Yeah. Who? who, who what? <laughs> who? Where? Is it who? Is it who I'm thinking of? Yeah, it is. Ah, oh, man. I need that guy in my life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man. He can't thank you enough though. So I know, I know. So there you go. <laughs> well, dang, man, that's awesome. Well, guys, why don't we sit back, relax, and listen to Eric Burnham in his own words. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have the fantastic Mr. Eric Burnham. How's it going, sir? Oh, you know, it's going all right. How's with you? Everything's going pretty well. So I always ask about comic book writers. I it, I may just be assuming, but I assume you were writing, you've been reading comic books since you were little. Am I wrong or right? Oh, no, you're right. I have been reading them since as long as I can remember reading. So age four or so is uh, when I remember picking them up first. So any particular favorites that you remember? Oh yeah, Spider-Man, 100% all the time. I I was, initially I had a bunch of comics uh, that my dad had passed down to me when I was, you know, like I said, a, a wee child. And then they they all went up in a fire when I was around oh, wow. five years old, everything, everything gone. And I might've, you know, grown past comics at that point. But one of the first things, in fact, the first possession that I, that I own, the first thing that I got after this fire, my grandpa gave me one of his comics from his, you know, his stash for the grandkids when they came over to read. It was an Avengers annual. And that was my first possession after losing everything in a fire. And that just kind of solidified my love for comics from there on out. And it just uh, kept going. Yeah, I will say, just like you, I'm actually a second generation comic book um, fan. My father was a comic book fan when he was a kid. He, he, you know, fell out of collecting, I think when he was maybe 18, 19, I think it was, uh, maybe 17, back in the 60s, you know, when um, 17, you know, would be a little too old for the comic books that they made at that time. Yeah. And then I, I got back, I got, he got me into it and I was like nine or 10 and I kind of went in or out, but yeah, comic books are something that just feels like it's like genetics, like in your bloodline. Oh yeah. What, what, what Spider-Man run um, was your favorite? Oh geez. You know, I, I have multiples. I, the stuff that I had first was uh Ditko and Ramita. That's what my dad had. And then, of course, a few years later after that, they were, you know, doing the reprints. Well, not even a few years after that, they were doing the reprints with the Marvel Tales. So my my favorite 
Spidey story that I remember earliest was uh, Spidey Strikes Back, which I think was amazing, number 19. And from there, the uh, the Ross Andrews stuff in the 70s, and then uh, a little further in the 80s and 90s, Sal Buscema. Buscema. Oh. I almost mispronounced that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but those are those are the big names, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. For, for me, Spider-Man was, I started reading it at the Maximum Carnage run. If you know that run from, I guess it would be the mid nineties. I, I do remember that. I, I didn't catch as many of those because at the time I was, I was living in rural Alaska and comics were a little spottier to come by. Yeah. I do. I do remember, I do remember Car- Carnage being introduced in some of the, some of the Maximum Carnage stuff, but I didn't catch the whole story. So what, what, what the hell were you doing in Alaska? My dad felt like he wanted to live there for a while. So off we went. <laughs> well, he definitely wanted to get away from people, is my guess. You know, he just wanted to live in the wilderness. And we certainly <laughs> did that. <laughs> I, 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 well, as someone who lives in the Northeast, I guess I cannot complain about cold when you have lived in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's colder where I live now, which is Minnesota, which is, I mean, that's actually where I'm from. And uh, yeah, no, I, I've never had temperatures as cold in Alaska. We lived on the West Coast. So we had nice Hawaiian updrafts. I had never got any colder that I recall than, you know, like 25, 30. Whereas here, hey, wind chill, it's 45 <laughs> below outside, you know? So should, should I or should I not make the joke and ask, have, can you see Russia from your house when you live oh, in Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not quite. Although, you know, we had a, we had a thing. We probably could have driven there, a little amphibious all-terrain vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I, I would want to be on the, on, the, on the ocean, the northern, <laughs> the northern Pacific for, for the 70 hours it would have taken to drive. But sure, yeah. <laughs> so when did you decide I'm going to be a comic book writer? You know, it's funny. My mom has a story that she told me when I was uh, four or five years old. I told her that I wanted to either be somebody who made comics or a magician. And I just, I don't have manual dexterity enough to be a magician. I can't do the card tricks or, or manipulation, anything like that. So I eventually fell back to comic books, which, you know, who who does what they think they're going to do it for? Yeah. But yeah, no, apparently I've wanted to do it for the longest time. And uh, I get a kick out of that story when, when she told it to me for the first time. And uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I bounced around different kinds of jobs. I had a lot of time in retail, as many folks have. I did time in radio, which less folks have. And, you know, then around 10 years ago, I started to do uh, comics, you know, just, just for fun. I was, I had been laid off from my job at, at a radio station and I was unemployed for about a year and change. And so I was on the internet a lot more, hanging out on message boards. This was before social media. And I met, I met some folks. We were online. We were chatting on the old AOL Instant Messenger, for those who remember that, and <laughs> big group chat. And they were complaining about what they didn't like about the Marvel and DC events. This sucks. That sucks. I don't like how they did this. I hate how they did that. Finally, one uh, person said, well, could we do better? Let's put our money where our mouth is. And we we did. We, we put together an anthology, an 80-page anthology, came together in less than a year, which is ridiculously fast for publishing. And I had an eight-page story in that. It's my first comics work. And then the uh, a smaller group of the folks who put together the anthology decided to do a an indie comics company, and that was Shooting Star Comics. We put out six anthologies, one two-issue miniseries, uh, and a couple of one-shots. One of those one-shots was the character that I debuted in that first anthology issue. Is that Nick Landamy? Uh, Nick Landime, yes, exactly. Landime. Yeah, well, it's a pun, you know, nickel and dime. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And uh, so yeah, and one of the one of the folks who we put an uh, excuse me who we put a miniseries out by Tom Waltz. We put his first work out, which was Children of the Grave. Tom's a San Diego guy. Tom was talking with IDW about doing a collection of Children of the Grave, which they did. He got talking to them and eventually got hired on as an editor. And he liked Nick Landime. He liked my work. <laughs> and he asked me if I wanted to pitch to uh, an anthology. They were doing a horror anthology. Gene Simmons was it? I can't remember the name of the horror anthology now, but it was a Gene Simmons thing. They were doing a license with Gene Simmons, House of Horrors or some such like that. I had a story accepted there. That went fine. And I'm, I'm still working retail all this time now. After that, I he asked me if I would like to do a miniseries based on a tie-in to a toy that was in and out of stores in 2009. I said, sure, I'll do that. After that, he asked me uh, if I liked the A-team and wanted to do, you know, a tie into the movie. I said, absolutely. Let me let me in there. And and then I got Ghostbusters, at which point I became a full-time comics writer. So, I mean, that was the the short version. I just I kind of I kind of lucked out chatting with chatting with friends about comics in 2001 to, you know, 10 years later, writing, writing an ongoing series. So. You told me the story that, it was, that your mom mentioned that you, your two plans was was to either be a comic book writer or a magician. How mm-hmm. does she feel about you being a comic book writer? You know, she's, I'm not going to say <laughs> surprised, but I think a little bit surprised. Um, surprised or bad surprised? It's, it's it just, you know, I mean, rural, uh, a rural family, a rural Midwestern family. It's kind of just kind of a shock that I'm not doing something average. In fact, I worked for a long time, like I said, in in retail in a thing where regular customers saw me regularly. And after that store closed down, I was managing a video store. People would still see me and they say, what are you doing now? I said, oh, I'm writing. And they said, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Walmart's hiring. You could probably <laughs> you could probably get a job there. <laughs> and I mean, so that's that's kind of the mentality. And And my mom has a little bit of that for the first Five years ago, she said, "Well, you know, what if this ends? <laughs> what what if you don't get any more work?" And of course, I mean that's that's a common you know problem and and uh, fear for freelancers anyway. But uh, mm-hmm. she she eventually she eventually uh, slacked off of of saying this could end at any time. I know, <laughs> I know, mom, I know. That, 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 I'm sure that helps the anxiety of the freelancer, right? Oh there. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it. As a freelancer, mm-hmm. how, I mean, like mentally, because like I said, you do have that concern of working or not working or the project being ended and continue and whatnot. Like how, how do you handle that from a psychological perspective? Uh, a lot of denial helps. <laughs> and no, I mean, I, I just try to focus on getting the next thing, which I have to do anyway, because I, I have not been, I'm not particularly a gregarious person. A lot of writers are, are, are like that. So, you know, cold contacting editors or soliciting work is not as easy for me as it might be for someone else. So I have to focus on, on doing the thing. Otherwise I'll lock up and just, you know, never work <laughs> unless, you know, unless <laughs> the work falls into my lap. So, right. Right. So, so you wrote, as you mentioned, a very heralded run on Ghostbusters for mm-hmm. IDW. Yes. Were you a fan of Ghostbusters prior to getting the gig? Oh, gosh, yes. No, I, I was a fan from Go. First time I saw the movie, you know, on video in, in 1986, I was a huge fan. And uh, no, I just loved it. And I love not just the Ghostbusters, but 
the general conglomeration of movies of, you know, the original Saturday Night Live guys. So Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Harold Ramis from, you know, other Second City stuff, loved all their work. And so, you know, it was a dream to be able to put their voices on paper. And, uh, you know, it's it's fun every time I get a chance to do so. I love it. Were you the fan of the cartoon as well or just the movies? Oh, no, I was a fan of anything I get my hands on. So, yes, I was a fan of the cartoon, but the movies obviously came first. And it was just, you know, I, I liked the, well, I liked the wit of it. And the older I got, the more jokes I got and the more, you know, illusions I caught and the more things I noticed. And it's, you know, watching the movie to catch up on a tone when I started doing the book again and seeing all kinds of things. The first, the, the thing that took me the longest to notice was uh, the maid in the background spraying the fire out with Windex. And I don't know. I mean, I, I watched the movie dozens of times and I didn't notice that until like 2011. So, I mean, that's ridiculous, but it's, I, I catch something new every time. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the property. I just, I like the notion of dealing with fear through humor. Mm. Now, is it hard to write characters that are already pre-established because especially characters like the Ghostbusters, when you have Bill Murray, Jane Aykroyd, all those guys who had a very specific style and voice and everyone kind of recognize it. Is it hard to try to emulate those voices and those styles when you're trying to write without making it sound like you're just kind of like mimicking what they did instead of, you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. And it's strange. The voice is mimicking the voice. I should say is kind of, one of the talents I have in writing. So much of the time, especially when somebody has such a clear speaking voice, acting voice as these guys, it's easier for me. It's a little harder <laughs> if there's a clear voice, but it's not something that I can hear. You know, it's not like a, a something that I've, that I've, uh, you know, heard out loud via, you know, a movie or TV show that makes it a little bit trickier sometimes, but uh, no, no, maintaining a, a consistency of tone is, is, you know, like one of the uh, tools, the skills I have as a writer, which is really handy when it comes down to do licensed work. When you're doing license, obviously you have, but you're, like, you're doing, you're working for IDW, you have the publishers, IDW, the editors, then you have the company that owns the, the license. Who owns the Ghostbusters? Is it Hasbro or is it? Ghostbusters? No, that's Columbia, Sony. Okay, Sony. So you have mm -hmm. Sony, you have the publisher, IDW. Obviously, you have editors for IDW. Mm -hmm. How much is it difficult to, to have that many voices trying to all potentially share ideas, pitch in, comment, critique? Or is it? did you basically, were, were you able to write without any real interference from the outside? I mean, that changes from project to project and story to story. The first Ghostbuster story I did, the Infestation crossover in 2011, I was writing it in 2010, but the first uh, story, there were no, there were more notes from Sony about what they wanted and didn't want. Once you figure out the notes and and you know where the lines are, the notes, you know, the 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 stuff kind of can disappear a little bit, and then you can just you know get away with whatever you want because you know what your boundaries are. I found those out pretty quick with Ghostbusters, and for the most part, if I'm uh, servicing the property properly. No, you know, I mean, the the editors will come up with a suggestion if they think there's something better for the story. And uh, so will the licensors. And 99% of the time, if they have a suggestion, it's a good suggestion. It should be added. It gets added and it makes everything better. But, you know, the the time that they don't have a suggestion, yeah, it's it's all gone pretty smoothly with, I, I'd say, 
the vast majority of comics I've written, I haven't gotten. I, I can only think of maybe three or four comics that total where I've gotten heavy notes where I'd have to go back and, and do some rewriting, which is a fantastic streak of luck that I am knocking wood continues. That, that's kind of fun because often when you, like the joke I guess a lot with studio notes is that they're usually like, instead of making the shirt red, make it blue. But you're saying these actually were substantial notes that you were receiving? Oh, no, no. Uh, for the most part, I mean, I, I can't speak for uh, any of the artists I've worked with as far as the notes that they get. But for the most part, unless something was, I worked on on a couple of comics for the Ninja Turtles that tied in, that didn't tie in. They they were from the, the 2012 cartoon, the 3D one that was running on Nickelodeon. Now, when that show was on the air and I was writing comics for that, they were a little bit pickier because they didn't want me to copy something that they had in the works that wasn't going to come out for a year and a half that I would have no way to know about. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, you can't do this story because, you know, in a, in a, like I said, a year and a half from now, we have an episode that is very similar. So we don't want you to do that. And, you know, then I would I would rewrite and fix it. They, they decided that after I wrote the uh, new comic book day or the free comic book day issue, the zero issue, and I came up with something, they decided to let it go through, but it was similar to something that happened in the episode that aired like two weeks after the free comic book day. And people are like, holy cow, <laughs> This somebody ripped somebody off, but I'm not sure who. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's all, it was all just a coincidence of the timing, but, but yeah, they, they, when, when there's, when there's multiple iterations going an active TV show or an active movie, they are a lot more specific about what they will and won't let you, let you do. I, I ran into that. I'm, I'm writing Godzilla now for IDW. And they had stuff that they didn't want me to do just because it was, it, it came, it come up in the, I found out later, it came up in the new Kong versus Godzilla movie. You know, I had uh, Godzilla breaching out of the water, which you see in the trailer, Godzilla breaching out of the water when he's going to fight Kong at one point. And they wanted me to, I, I had him, the, the way I wrote in the script for him to land, they said, don't have him land like that. He needs to land like this. Okay, huh. cool. Well, that's a fair <laughs> note. I will rewrite that right now. And I mean, so I mean, notes like that, the, the kind of stuff where I would have no way of knowing what it needs to be. That's the kind of notes I get more often. And I mean, you know, I appreciate that because then I don't look stupid. <laughs> well, we don't want to look, ever look stupid. So just out of curiosity with the Ghostbusters, you must be really looking forward to, the, I guess, the, re, the, the reboot or whatever they're doing with the, the new Ghostbusters movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't look. I can't wait to to see how it comes out. Yeah. I mean, I would assume IDW will probably have a new ongoing for, you know, to coincide with this movie, I would imagine. Yeah, I, you know, don't know. <laughs> I hope so. I hope there's I hope there's a new series to come out when the movie does. But I, I can't comment. All that stuff is is above my pay grade. When you are doing license work for a property like Ghost, and you know something's coming out with them that you've written for before, do you, do you like salivate a little bit? Like, here it comes. I'm about to get another request. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you always hope. That's the that's the thing. You always hope that, that more work is coming, yeah. So uh, so the, another project that you're working on is Transformers Beast Wars. How did this project happen? Okay, well, actually, this is, this is kind of funny. I was a year ago, just before my birthday last year in February, I was bored and flipping through to find something to watch on all the streaming channels. I, I flipped over to one of the free ones, Tubi, and I saw Beast Wars on there. And I said, well, I've never seen this. I think, I think, I'll, uh, I think I'll check it out. And I, I got a kick out of it. I mean, you know, I mean, it was, it was a 90s cartoon. So the elements that were playing to a seven-year-old were pretty strong, but they got some stuff in there that I wasn't expecting and legitimately made me laugh out loud. 
I, I, I thought it was fun. Mm. So I, I emailed Tom, who was my editor on Ghostbusters. Tom Walton is also the editor on Transformers. And I said, I don't know. Have you, have you, are you guys ever thinking about doing this again? Because this was kind of fun. I like to, to pitch a one shot or a mini series. If anything ever comes up, he goes, funny, you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he told me that they were going to be doing a, a new, a new series, a new ongoing series to tie into the 25th anniversary this year of beast wars. And he asked me if I would like to pitch and yeah, absolutely. You know, and I threw together uh, some ideas and my ideas were, you know, at the time they had, they had something that they wanted uh, and that was exactly like the cartoon, but tweaked just a little bit. So I pitched that and they liked that, but then they decided that they wanted, <laughs> they wanted, uh, they wanted me to, to flavor a little bit more, change it a little bit more, be a little bit more me with it. And, and, and I, I guess the, the approach that we, we came to was like when Marvel did ultimate comics and they started out more or less the same as the original Marvel. But then they tweaked things and the little tiny change would set things going further and further apart until Spider-Man starts with Peter Parker, but then Peter Parker dies, you know, several years later and you have mm. a new Spider-Man. And that's obviously not happening with the original comics. But, you know, I mean, it was just one of those little things that one change led to another change led to another change very subtly. And that's the kind of thing they were looking for. Little, little kind of changes that can turn into big changes later. Okay, so... You you referenced Peter Parker dying in the ascension of uh, Michael Miles Morales as the new Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Should we now be concerned for the characters of Transformers that now you're just hinting at a major character just potentially get killed off? Well, I mean, you know, if in the cartoon they decided, you know what, let's just kill this guy, or <laughs> they, they 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 were not shy about killing characters in the cartoon. So I mean, it is called Beast Wars. Some characters, you know, might or might not survive the entire run of the book. I can't say for sure who or who will not, or, you know, maybe everybody will survive. You never know. But the the thing that we're told is we can kill characters. We can add characters, new characters, which is something we did for the first issue. And we can, you know, do a lot of things. There's a lot of leeway. One of the only things they told me is that there's a list of characters that I'm not allowed to use. And, you know, I mean, they have their reasons for, for saying no. So, I mean, I have this list of characters that I can use and this list of characters that I can't use. And, you know, I, I, I never, I never know if I'm supposed to say which ones I can't use straight out or not. So I just don't, but I, <laughs> there are, there are, you know, there are, there are characters and concepts that they just, you know, don't do, don't do this. And that may be because they have plans for them down the line, or that may be because the, there, there's uh, there's legal reasons between a character that appeared in the Japanese content and the American content, or there may be, you know, somebody in charge just doesn't like that character. <laughs> <laughs> Any of these reasons can be a reason to be told no on Ghostbusters for several years, for example, I was not allowed to use the characters Dana and Lewis, the ones uh, played by Sigourney Weaver and, and Rick Moranis in the movie. So I just wasn't straight up allowed to use them at all for uh, five years, <laughs> four years, four years uh, before they finally allowed me to use them. And and they had their reasons for that. And I mean, so that kind of stuff can just can just come up. We don't want you to use these. Why? Because. So. So well. After watching some Transformers Beast Wars, did you continue into Transformers Beast Machines? I did not. No, I, I watched the I watched the Beast Wars that were free on Tubi, but I didn't go any further than that because I I, I got busy with some other things and just didn't get back around to uh, seeking it out. But yeah, no, I I, I I did do some reading up, but I haven't I haven't got to Beast Machines yet. And at, at this point, I don't know that they would want me to do anything from Beast Machines just for that same reason I just mentioned. It's 
it's technically something different. Yeah, because if my memory serves, um, I remember Beast Machines, and obviously it continues after Beast Wars. So my question was, what, was there an intent to make that also a destination of your series, potentially? Yeah, no, 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 that's that's not the intention. The the stuff that they wanted me to keep from Beast Wars is... is uh, hard and fast that's a that's a foundation that i can't get around so i mean you have to have i was told i have to have the golden disc i have to have time travel and so on but the future is not something that they they are going to hold me to and they may be changing that as well because you know they have the new cartoon out and if they change where beast wars is going by way of that new cartoon which i have no idea about i haven't you know i i don't know their future plans but if in their future plans like with the ninja turtles you know, two years down the line, they're they're heading towards this thing, which might be something similar to Beast Machines, or it might be something completely different. Then they would tell me, you know, to leave off of that stuff. Because if they're going to do something similar, they don't want me to do something, you know, along those lines. And if they're going to do something different, they definitely don't want me to do something along those lines. So I imagine that I will just be uh, playing in the sandbox of what is familiar to Beast Wars for the foreseeable future until I'm basically told I don't have to. Well, the, the other thing that, as you mentioned as well, is about adding new characters. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the one issue with time travel going with on the ship going back in time is that I would seemingly you're stuck with only the characters who are on that ship at that time. Is that accurate? Or there, because the ship is so potentially so large, it's just a question of not having shown this character who happened to be on that ship. No, it's it's going to be... It is. You, you see in the first issue, the crews that are there, and that's it. But just like the cartoon, we have the the cargo in the uh, the good guy's ship, in the maximal ship, the protoform pods that they were going to you know send out to explore strange new worlds. And those will become new characters as they, you know, as they go about, just like they did in the show. Protoform pod opens. Hey, it's a new character. Maybe it's a good guy. Maybe it's a bad guy, but it's a new character. And, uh, you know, so that's how we'll introduce new stuff. But as far as the folks who came back through time, it was just the ones that we saw in the first issue. Well, I'm also a big fan of Brian Ruckley's run of his Transformers ongoing. Mm-hmm. Does your Beast Wars combo connect at all to his run of Transformers right now? Not right now. That's not to say that it won't. That's not to say that it will. But right now we're keeping them separate. Because, okay, you know, companies love to do the, the crossover. So I'm just wondering. Oh, yeah. you, <laughs> but it yeah, does no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's something it's something when the book was in its early stages something that we considered i mean it was something that we considered right right away in the proposal but you know that comes down to is hasbro ever going to do a crossover you know in a, in a cartoon or in a movie or in something else and i mean i've seen hints on the internet that that's probably the case i mean the movie part i don't know if it is but if they are planning that then I would be told, don't do that until we finish what we're going to do. And and so I mean I haven't I haven't been told that, but you know that 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 could be if I if I if if I decided to to pitch something, <laughs> and they they told me no. Right now I've been told to hold off on a crossovers just because of the fact that they want to establish the book on its own. And uh, but you know like I said, crossovers are good. People like crossovers. Crossovers sell, and they like seeing character A meet with character B and and have a little little bit of fun. So it certainly could come up, but I don't know that that it will, or if it will, or when it will. It's not in the cards. It's not on the plate right now. But you're saying though, it exists within the same timeline and same universe. Well, like I said, right now it's it could, or it could not, because we 
Whoops, sorry about that. The the uh, I lost my train of thought because of the phone. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, no. Right now, it's it's not established one way or the other. So if we decide to do a crossover, then yes, we'll we'll sew it up so that it that it meets nicely. But we're not we're not going to tie it to Brian's run just uh, to make sure we both have leeway that he doesn't have to do anything or you know that that nothing he does ties our hands in any way until we're sure that that's what we want to do. So it's not a no and it's not a yes. And I sound, I know that sounds like kind of a dodge, but we're just, we're keeping it, we're keep, we're keeping it loose right now. Just, just to keep all options open. Yeah. Because Beast Wars, Beast Wars kind of exists in kind of a, a weird place where it's kind of in the future of, if, assuming it was in the same timeline as the Transformers, standard Transformers, but also because it goes back into the past, it both exists before the uh, tra- the original Transformers cartoon Gene One G One cartoon, but kind of also exists after. So it's kind of like this weird combination of both. Right, right, and and that's the thing we uh, we don't want to to tie anything into that. You know, I mean, us with the time travel element, something that we did if the books were tied together might affect something that Brian plans to do, and anything that if we tie them together that Brian does could affect what we plan to do. So right now we're just going. You know, like I said, we're not we're not going to tie it in too close until you know. Until until they decide that that's that's the way it's going to go, but yeah, until until then, it just keeps everybody's story options open. It, this when you have a cast as big as Transformers, is it hard to make each one feel distinct from the others? Not distinct, but it is hard to get everybody in the spotlight when there's only twenty pages and there's over a dozen characters. So, but not only do you have that many characters and you have that much time, but but as you said, each one needs their own arc. Mm-hmm. story arc to give them purpose i mean i assume kind of like when you look, watch a g1 it kind of feels like you have optimus prime and then you have his group mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying but it's basically optimus prime is this going to be more of your ensemble or is this going to be optimus primal heavy i'm going to try to keep it as an ensemble but let me let me rephrase that what i like to do is each story would have one character kind of taking the lead and you know and then everybody else kind of well, like any ensemble, they, they kind of, you know, fall back until it's their turn in the spotlight. And that's what I'm hoping to do here in the first arc, just by the nature of how it's set up. Dinobot and Nyx are kind of more in the spotlight than some of the other characters. And when I pitched the book, I sent like two or three years worth of stuff, excuse me, two or three years worth of stuff in story ideas. And everybody got a little bit of a spotlight. So, you know, I mean, as the book goes, hopefully it, it goes long enough to do all those stories and, and a few more. But yeah, everybody should get a, a turn in the spotlight. And the first issue definitely starts, I would say, in media res. I mean, it starts off right off the bat with action. Was the goal, and also obviously um, the research with the attack of the research center planned by uh, Galavar, I believe is how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Galavar. Is the, was the goal to immediately set a tone and style of the first series? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the idea for the first issue obviously was to mimic the opening to the show, but we had a little bit more space and we wanted to show a little bit more than, okay, well, now they're crashing to earth right away in the first couple minutes, you know? So yeah, no, we, we, we had, had a little bit of, of room to show, you know, the theft of the golden disc, the show, the hijack of the dark side to show why other ships weren't chasing down Megatron after he had left Cybertron. We had a little bit of room to do that. So, I mean, that's why we did. But I mean, yeah, no, it was just to set the tone. And also, I used the ultimate example earlier to show you what was the same and then give you a little bit what was different, but to establish the tone and all the stuff that people are familiar with 
and then you know the the seasoning, the pepper, the the extra stuff that they weren't. And what one thing I really liked about that first issue is that the character Galavar chooses to name himself Megatron. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wonder, part of me, I do wonder if Galavar is kind of also a kind of a Gavotron uh, nod as well, maybe? A little bit. I, I mean, it was, I knew from, from the old show that he had changed his name. And I thought it would be fun to show what he had changed his name from. And, you know, because I mean, he, he consciously did it before the show goes. He, he's, you know, reaching for the legacy. And I, I liked that. And I thought it would be funny to have something that sounded a little bit like Galvatron and go back towards a Megatron as opposed to, you know, the reverse. But, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was just a subtle, you know, it was, it was a hat tip. Yes. To Galvatron. And I think the cool thing about having him name himself Megatron, it kind of gives the name Megatron. It kind of sort of like a title, almost like a Caesar. A little bit. Yeah. You know, and it, it kind of not only does it reach back to that legacy, but it does kind to insinuate a little bit about Megatron as in, Obviously, whatever Megatron did in the past, he was not only successful, but he it was enough that his legacy always maintained remained strong. Mm-hmm. Was, that, was that kind of what you were also insinuating? Well, a little bit. I mean, you know, if you have a historical figure, which in this case Megatron would be, you know, you're going to have people, and if if you make the history books, you're going to inspire somebody. Basically, <laughs> yeah. it might it might not be you know somebody major. It might be somebody major. It might be a minor inspiration. It might be you know huge. But yeah, if you've made the history books, if you're remembered going forward, you know, hundreds of years down the line, you know, you're going to inspire somebody at some point, just because you know that's how history works. <laughs> true, true. But 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 I say history definitely works in in such a way that most people. Caesar, you know, obviously named from Julius Caesar, um, who many people considered the great emperor of Rome. No one calls themselves like Hitler. So <laughs> Megatron, by naming himself Megatron, is insinuating that Megatron, the idea of him, went through history in a very positive light, at least within that group. Well, no, I mean, you know, when you say, you know, nobody calls himself Hitler, I, you know, there are certainly neo-Nazi groups all over the world that that admire Hitler and remember Hitler and say, you know, that guy was right. Mm. So, I mean, and, you know, I, I don't think you would find the majority of the world thinking that Hitler was anything positive, but there are people who, who do think so. And they have that, that, that skew. So he is definitely inspiring them in the wrong way. On the other hand, you also have people going, well, we never want to go through that again. And, 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 you know, that's, that's a positive, <laughs> that's a positive effect of Hitler. They, you, we don't want to go through that horror again. So we will, you know, make sure to avoid that, that, you know, I mean, that that's, you know, history working right. in, in a positive favor from a, from a negative person, but no, there, there, there are bad people or, you know, let me rephrase that. Let me fix that. There are people who just take different lessons from from different folks. And I, I can't say Hitler was a good person, but I can say that some people were inspired by him and they're, and they're not good people either. Well, see, that opens an interesting question about Ga- Galavar. The question mm-hmm. with, with him is because, once again, as my indication from reading the first issue is that he is n- was not the leader of his group until he moves into the past. So is he an adherent to Megatron who's viewed by a minority as, let's say, the Hitler type? Or does the group he belongs to, the larger group, has Megatron made it to that level where he's widely accepted by a large faction of these bots, Transformers? Well, 
me figure this out. So you have a large group. Look at any look at any political group anywhere. No political group is all of one thing. Mm. You're going to have in 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 the larger umbrella of a political group, which will take the uh, Maximalism, Predacons, or Autobots, Decepticons, all that will take them as two political groups for the sake of this point. In that larger umbrella, you're going to have these people who have an extreme belief, these people who have a passive belief, these who are aggressive, these who have, you know, a more conciliatory, let's make an agreement and move forward a belief. You know, you're going to have all this different stuff. I believe this, but not this. I am for this type of action, but not this type of action. All of that stuff together, there is one core thread that runs between people of a political stripe that keeps them under that umbrella. <laughs> mm. But, you know, it's it's not always the same one. It's not always, you know, it's not always the the extreme one. I mean, I, I guess I'd say look at, you know, the real world right now. Look at Democrats. You have everybody from, say, uh, West Virginia or Manchin and, and West Virginia, and then Bernie Sanders, who's not a Democrat, but caucuses with them. Those guys are fairly far apart, <laughs> mm. but they're both, you know, technically under the the liberal umbrella. You wouldn't, you know, if you if sat down and were, were chatting with those guys, you probably wouldn't wouldn't necessarily think that all the way. <laughs> yeah. And and so so and so it is with fiction. The characters, some of them are going to be more extreme and some of them are going to be less extreme. And and there you go. The so so would Megatron be the fanatic within his party or is the party itself the larger one? kind of fanatic no he he's he's going to be closer to the fanatic side as it okay. goes in beast wars the the maximals of the predacons are on the same planet some of them don't like each other some of them work together some of them you know they they, they have a piece but some of them are, are kind of angling to upend the social status quo and some are trying to do it subtly and sneakily and politically and some are trying to blow stuff up and take over the planet <laughs> you know so i mean it's it's it, you know i mean i understand it's weird these are toy robots that turn into animals let's discuss them <laughs> with political allegories but no i mean it's it's i i, I i'm I, I know how weird it all sounds trying to trying to work the process, but I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's it's just an image in the head and, you know, you try to explain it and it sounds closer to babbling. <laughs> well, you know what, though? I mean, as, as someone as myself who is a self-professed geek, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You take something that's made for kids and you blow it up to great proportions to debate the nuance mm-hmm. of, of this thing as as it is as if it is far more sophisticated than it was originally intended to be. Well, you know, I mean, it was good guys and bad guys uh, as, as a cartoon show, as, as toys. And as people grow and their affection doesn't diminish, more depth is added to a story. Or, you know, I mean, that's what we try to do. And uh, or just, you know, more depth is seen. And people have a lot, uh, you know, there, there's there's a big inner life with these characters that lives inside every fan of the property. Mm. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we try to we try to capture that inner life and that the, the depth that a person has through their affection for a property. That's what we try to, to bring to the stories, all of the, everybody who works on them, you know, all the writers and artists across comics and movies and TV. That's, that's the ultimate goal is, you know, here is a character that is as important in the story as they are in your head. Mm, I agree and, with you. you know, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Optimus Primal is definitely at the start, very different than his namesake, which is, I assume, Optimus Prime as the namesake. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems almost 
like hot rod in the Transformers movie. If you, I assume you've seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. It, it, so is is the intent that he is similar to Hot Rod now, and the, and the part of his arc is going to be to grow into more of the Optimus Prime style hero, but with the kind of like the Hot Rod arc starting off. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you start off, I mean, Optimus Prime was great, but he didn't have a whole lot of growing to do as a character he was mm. fully formed and and the way he was was largely the way he stayed but uh, but yeah no here it just gives us an opportunity to show somebody making mistakes and growing in to more of a, a seasoned role growing up basically and primal is definitely going to make mistakes he's going to get excited he's going to say let's do this and then five minutes later going maybe that was not the right call <laughs> there were consequences i didn't foresee i should probably never do that kind of thing again and then maybe the next time he'll be too cautious and find out that that was the wrong call <laughs> <laughs> i learned the long the wrong lesson the first time i will integrate that into my experiences and you know going forward we'll we'll judge things differently and i mean you know that's that gives a lot of a lot of play, a lot of room to uh, work with the character, and and you know hopefully, hopefully you know that's the kind of character arc we'll get and have a lot of fun doing so. You know, and I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean, I, I as a kid, I loved Optimus Prime, but yeah, he really had pretty much no start, uh, story arc. He was perfect when the show, you know, as a character, you know, he's a perfect bot when it starts and he ends as a perfect bot. There, there really isn't little growth. I, I will say, and I, and I might get stoned by the Transformers community. But I always preferred Rod Rodimus Prime. He actually had a story arc. He had a, some develop character development. I always thought he was the better character, in my opinion. Well, you know, I mean, every time somebody new comes to a franchise and there, there's, you know, the the characters laid out, you know, depending on the time you come in. If you came in right away at the beginning of the show, beginning of the franchise, you're not going to see Rodimus Prime. You're going to attach to the characters that are there. And maybe you'll accept uh, Hot Rod. and maybe. You won't. Maybe he'll become a favorite and maybe he won't because you had these characters. Now, if you come in later and all the characters are there and, you know, nobody has has more importance just, you know, coming into the story. I mean, it can go differently and it has gone differently. And I go back with with Ghostbusters to use this example. There are many fans of Ghostbusters who came into it with the cartoon, either the real Ghostbusters or the extreme Ghostbusters, and they have more affection for the cartoon than any of the movies because that's what they came to that's what they know first that's what they fell in love with and it's the same it's the same with everything there are beast wars fans who are beast wars fans because that's what they came up with in optimus prime and the original megatron and all the g1 stuff that's okay but this is the real transformers over here and <laughs> you know i mean so i mean it's just the iteration that you came to the the mix of characters the way the characters were at that point in their their development in their life the first one that you come to is most of the time going to be the one that you have the most affection for that you fell in love with mm. and and you know i mean it, it doesn't always work that way but on average that's how it does work and that's and that's what it is. So, I mean, yeah, somebody somebody could ab absolutely come along and say, no, no, Hot Rod is is the one. That's that's the Transformers character. That was the depth. And it wouldn't make any sense to somebody who fell in love with, with the Optimus Prime from, from Go back in 1984. Mm. 
But, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I'm babbling, but I think my point makes some kind of sense. Oh, no, it certainly makes sense. Yeah. And, and I always wonder about this too, because it seems like there's a, a pattern may not be a pattern, but I, I it might have in my brain just created a pattern. I don't know. But mm-hmm. the Autobot, Autobot leaders, including Honest Primal, are characters that grow into the role of hero. Rodimus Prime eventually takes uh, Hot Rod takes over from Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime doesn't grow into being a hero, while the Decepticon leaders seem to just become that guy. Like Gavitron just was Megatron. The Mega the Gal- Galavar in Beast Wars just announces that I am now Megatron the leader, which mm-hmm. is like is, is that saying something about the when the inherent differences between either the good guys, Autobots, Maximals versus the Pred- Predacons, Decepticons? about the nature of their leadership roles or am I looking too deep into it? Well, no, I, I think it's slightly different in that in the case of uh, beast wars, Megatron, he is taking on the name. I mean, he, he isn't, he isn't uh, G one Megatron turned to Galvatron turned to beast wars, Megatron. He's not the same person. He's not the same robot. He's just, <clears throat> excuse me. He's just taking from the legacy in order to inspire. The name is familiar. I'm going to use the name. People understand the name. They understand the banner. They understand the history. So I'm going to hype up the people or the Predacons to go the way I want by using this name, using this history, using this, you know, connection, <laughs> hmm. you know, using, you you know, so, I mean, if you hear, you know, okay, I, I, I it, you know, we'll, we'll use Star Trek. If you, if you're, if you're a, you're a Star Trek guy, if you're in Starfleet and you have, you know, Captain whoever, that's one thing. Somebody comes along and they are coincidentally also named Captain Kirk. Well, you're going to have a different, you're going to have a different uh, perspective just because of the Captain Kirk that existed. You're going to have a train of thought. You're going to, your mind's going to go from, well, this guy must be like this guy subconsciously because mm. he has the name name uh, same name that doesn't make any logical sense when you think about it on the surface but subconscious has a lot of has a lot of power and you know just just having something the same name and, and work on the train of thought can uh, go a long ways and i think that's what megatron is playing with he is looking for greatness by association well another great character in the series is rhinox mm-hmm. now with his interactions with optimus primal would you say he's more of an iron side or more like cup yeah he's not as crotchety as cup i'm gonna go with iron side <laughs> But what I mean is because Ironside is sort of the, he's some, you know, he's the, not an underling, but, you know, he works under Optimus Prime. He just gives advice. Well, Cup was more of the mentor to his. No, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. No, I get what you're saying. I I wouldn't put that, put him as, you know, 100%. He is a friend. He is, he is a mentor in some ways. But yeah, he's also, he's also still under primal's command in this case so it's 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 yeah it's a little bit you know i'll 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 take it back to one more time to star trek and and kirk and and mccoy and spock i mean spock and mccoy are definitely you know he kirk's the captain they're they you know they're they're serving under the captain but they they do have advisory roles mentorship roles in some cases and 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 that comes and that comes through even though he's technically in charge so so we'll put it that way well, the one thing I really liked about your series is that I like the reason you give for why the Transformers in this world has a have a techno organic alt mode. And I and I was wondering, was that really to answer our question, which is why would you need to disguise yourself in a world of no of no you know of all animals? Was that kind of a, a way to explain why this idea has to occur? Why do you do need animal alt modes? Well, I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, the the energon 
radiation was something that's taken straight from the cartoon. And because, yeah, there's no vehicles on the planet, they do need alt modes and they do read just animals. So, you know, that would be the thing to disguise them as. I mean, that's that's the logic of the show. And I didn't I didn't think too much past that. I said, OK, you know, that's a good idea. It works. It's also something that I absolutely have to do because it's in the title of the book. Let's run with it. But I mean, you know, it's fun, too. Mm. Well, I mean, there are some really wonderful designs. I mean, Jackson's Primal Design, Rhinox, Nick, they're all really fun designs. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's that's all on uh, Josh's, you know, Josh's plate. He did a good job designing the characters to fit into the tone of what we're doing. The, the other thing I was wondering about, you mentioned in, in, in the issue that there's like floating mountains. Is this to, I mean, I assume then this is not our Earth where they land or... Is there something weird going on, but it's still technically Earth? Well, you know, I mean, for a while we were talking about making it not Earth. And in the cartoon, while they eventually discover that it was Earth, they had floating mountains as well. It's a planet of experiments, as we find out in issue two. That's where a lot of things come from. That's where certain animals on the planet come from. That's where the floating mountains come from. And... Anything that is weird, you know, a desert being side by side, blending into a frozen tundra, all of that stuff happens. It's confusing. It's a scientific mystery. And I mean, the, the reader understands what's going on and why it's going on. It's, a, it's another alien race. They're using the planet as a laboratory to see what happens when X meets Y. Cybertronians, the Maximals, the Predacons, they don't know what's going on necessarily. <laughs> they don't know why the world is like it is. And uh, they certainly don't know that it's, you know, the ancient, uh, an ancient planet that their forebears, forebears might have visited. So we still have room where we might, uh, we might change that. We might not change that. I think it's still, I think one of the rules is that it has to be earth. So until I'm told, no, it doesn't have to be earth. We can go ahead and, and, and assume that it is, but any, any kind of twist could be on the table yet whether it's something we've thought of or something we haven't thought of. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I think you did such a good job with the first two issues. And I really like as well how clearly you differentiated the leadership styles of Optimus Primal and uh, Megatron. Optimus Primal is, you know, when, when he's talking to Nix and he's kind of, you know, telling him basically to go fly, go retcon and doing it kind of a very supportive and kind of using the, the people to their best of their abilities. So, you know, their abilities can shine. Versus Megatron, who's very um, not only author authoritative, but he doesn't. He's it multiple. It said it seems to mention multiple times that he's not fully engaged with what the other Predacons are necessarily doing. He's worried about what he's doing, what he wants at that moment. And I and I and I, and I was wondering, was it was you know, is, am I looking at it right? Was is that kind of like the major difference to how they lead? Well, yeah, Megatron is a selfish character. He's interested in his goals and. The Predacons other him, under him, how they can serve his goals. A tarantula said that as well in in uh, what we've shown so far. They're only working together so long as their interests align. And then, you know, I mean, if if their interests don't don't coincide at some point, tarantulas could say, "I'm out," <laughs> or you know, and 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 so might so might pterosaur or so might so might waspinator. And you know, just I mean, it they're working together out of a shared a shared goal i guess and and which is which is one way to do it but it, but it's uh, megatron is kind of his goal is he, he has more you know selfish plans and he's he's nudging it that way just through force of will so yeah no he's it's 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 definitely for my good as opposed to the good <laughs> well 
but that's interesting question. if one of them like tarantulas decides to walk away would megatron actually let that happen like are they do they think they're kind of like upper um freelancers as it were or is megatron you know if they ever were to do that you know you're, you're like a volunteer unless you walk away and then i kill you kind of thing yeah that's i think how it come out come about it's you know you are here to be useful to me and if you're not useful to me then i'll get rid of you but if you don't want to be useful to me you will be or I'll get rid of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, 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 you know, it's a selfish mentality. Uh, but again, Megatron is, is looking towards what he wants as opposed to, you know, what would be best, I guess, you know, overall for, for, for the vision that he has, you know, I mean, he, he, he's looking for his own glory. And, you know, if, if somebody else happens to get a little bit of what they want, that's fine, but he needs to be taken care of first. He, he wants to be, you know, the the person with the glory for bringing the predagons back to prominence he wants to be in charge and you know he wants to be important and he's 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 going to he's going to see that through and you know i mean if 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 some good comes to some of the other predagons fine that's okay but that's not his primary concern will optimus primal's style of leadership have to change as the story continues is he because like i said he does seem I mean, he's obviously still the leader, but he does have a more a sense of com- camaraderie with his um, crew. Will he find himself having to kind of move himself a little bit from that area and become a little more distant and a little different of, of a leader? Or is his style was going to blossom into something that's a better version of that? Hopefully it will blossom into something a little bit better. He's somebody who does care about the people who serve under him. And... You know, that that opens himself up to some rough luck if anything were to happen to those people. Now, what will he do then? Will he, you know, go too far in trying to keep everybody safe? Will he try to turn off uh, his affection or, you know, his attachment? Because sometimes people do that. They try to shut themselves off. That doesn't work out so well. Hopefully, like I said, he'll, he'll just, uh, he'll mature and blossom into the type of person that can still care about and have camaraderie. But, you know make make the proper decisions <laughs> with you know he, he just he doesn't have the experience yet the pool of experience to do that and hopefully the stories in this book will give him some of that experience so what can readers expect in future issues of transformers beast wars well the first six issues are mostly set up of the war concept i would have done it a little bit differently but the mandate was yeah no the 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 first first six issues are, are roughly the first yeah, couple episodes of the cartoon extended. Dinobot, he will switch sides. That happened in the cartoon. I'm not going to, I'm you know, not going to keep anybody in suspense. He does switch over to be a maximal, but he does do it in a different way than he did in the cartoon. There is a uh, a confrontation. Yes, there is a large fight that is coming. There is there is a, a confrontation with local wildlife that'll be happening, popping up here and there, and we'll find out that some of the animals can possibly da- be dangerous to our bots and uh, you know so they're they're in a they're in a hostile environment and they have to deal with not just each other but they have to deal with the crazy stuff that's going on in the world as well i'm trying to trying to be specific but also be vague and that's what i (laughs) (laughs) No, there's 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 fighting there it's the the thing about the cartoon is they they had their half hour and you can get a lot more in a half an hour of animation and voice than you can get into 20 pages of a comic because you know think of all that you can say in a minute mm. in 60 seconds now you can't you can't <laughs> you can't condense that down into, into the small scene in a comic because every word takes up 
page space. Mm. Every word covers up a bit of the art. So, you know, the more the more talking, the more exposition, the less art you get, the more art you get with less talking, the more deconstructed it feels. So it's it's I mean, the the different medium just has it has a lot of different positives, but it has a lot of different constraints. So getting all that stuff in there, yeah, that took up six issues. But we will have uh, we will have the fights going, and then we have to figure out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm circling back around to where I started this point. The half hour episodes were able to to get stuff in there, like, well, we'll attack them, and it's over. Well, we'll attack them, and now it's over. And it it was for a different audience, and it had different rules in what you're allowed to get away with. We can't quite do that the same in the comic, and the stuff that is set up. Well, it's just like, well, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they attacking this? Why aren't they, you know, running from that? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? These are obvious questions that come up, but at the same time, if it were to work like the cartoon, that would also be a point of, well, this is just a repetitive thing of the same thing happening over and over again. Mm. And why is that happening? Why why do they just attack and reset and attack and reset? So yeah, it's 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 trying to balance uh the needs of the medium with story momentum and also story logic. Why is, you know, I'll, I'll give one thing. If, if there's the, the ship is covered in a forest shield and the Predacons can't get through the forest shield, what would they do? Would they continue to attack and just sit there and, and, and shoot and blast and not get through while the Maximals are looking out the window going, Hey, they're back. Mm. Or would they <laughs> sit at, uh, would, would they would they go, okay, well, uh, we're going to, we, we can't hurt them. They won't come after us because that's just not what Maximals do. So we're going to continue. Megatron is like, I'm going to just continue to try to crack the golden disc, get the secrets. Because when I get the secrets that I want, those Maximals won't matter anyway. Mm. I'll have the information. My ultimate goal is to get this information off the golden disc, get back to Cybertron and take over the planet. If the Maximals aren't attacking him, then, you know, they, they, they aren't getting in the way of his goal and he can ignore them until such time <laughs> as, as he has to deal with them. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of point I'm getting at. And it doesn't, it doesn't work as a, as a TV show, but if you, get, if you get in the comic, it's, it's just like, well, why, well, why are they keep going after, why are they doing this? Instead of this, you know, I mean, these are kind of it's 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 tough to it's tough to explain how fast that you know there's a lot of this you're going to need to cut. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think no, you did a good job. So okay. far. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's just yeah, with 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 the static nature of the images and it it can when there's not actual fighting action, it can feel like nothing is happening. And I understand that I recognize that, but at the same time, if it's all fighting that's happening, and there's no story momentum you know, then you've got the Opolis problem. It's, it's action without meaning. Mm. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I really liked what you did with the first two issues. Uh, I think you have a great story and I definitely look forward to reading what tomorrow, what, what you got going on? Well, uh, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope you get a kick out of it basically. Oh, I, I definitely, I have so far. So I mean, it, it's been great talking to you, Mr. Mr. Burnham. Like I said, great job with the series so far. Well, thank you much. All right. Have a very good night, sir. You do. Take it easy. Yeah. The Oceans of Podcasts. We are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind.
and read more.